I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Henry M. Patel. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Let Me Introduce Myself, the podcast where each episode I talk to a new guest about an interesting aspect of their personal life. This week, I am delighted to be joined by Peyton Chitty. Peyton is one of the most inspiring people I've had the pleasure of speaking to, not to mention the fact that the man is an absolute machine in more ways than one. Our conversation was recorded remotely due to lockdown, and as a result, there are a few issues with the volume. How are you doing, Peyton? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Whereabouts are you based? Uh, Wilmington, North Carolina in the United States. I am going to do something very different. Um, in previous episodes, I have sort of led in with some questions, but I wanted you to come on the show because uh, you have a story that is very close to my heart in many ways. <laughs> I just want to give you an opportunity to tell that story, really. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to let you start from the beginning and I might just interject with some with some questions at times while you're talking, but I'll, I'll just give you the space to sort of explain your story a little bit. Is that cool with you? Oh, that's great. Okay, over to you, Peyton. Thank you. All right, so um, yeah, my name is Peyton Chitty. I'm 52 years old, but that's only in age because I'm definitely feel like still feel like a 20 year old in my mind <laughs> yeah i have a, a congenital heart defect uh, i was born with i have a bradycardia which is a slow heartbeat and i have a type 2 atrial ventricular block which is basically is electrical my brain tells my heart to beat and it doesn't do what it's, my brain tells it to do so um i ended up having a pacemaker but my story kind of going back to when i was about 17 or 18 my granddad had died and uh, it wasn't particularly uh, well, I was close to my other granddad. This granddad I, I was close to, but not mm-hmm. as close to my other one. But it was still as the first death experience I had had of, of a close family member. And so, um, and seeing my dad deal with that, it was kind of stressful. And so I think, yeah, I remember I was playing tennis one day with a friend of mine. I like played all day long. I think I went surfing, skateboarding, played tennis. So I was doing like really strenuous exercise. And uh, and I guess that the the, I guess I may have been stressed out. I don't know. But anyways, I started having like some... Uh, you know, pains in my chest and feeling weird and so I told my mom and they took me and had um, they didn't have the equipment back in 1985 that they have now so they did some tests they said oh he has a heart murmur and a mitral valve prolapse I think that's what they told everybody back then I didn't have any other issues after that I mean I was fully active and everything I actually went in the military and uh, they you know let me in there I did eight okay. years in the Coast Guard reserves went to college uh, was active surfing my whole life, um, surfing and skateboarding my whole life. Like I said, no issues uh, at all. I moved down here to Wilmington uh, in my 30s, and I started working in the school system. I was never a runner. Well, we, we were doing a 5K at school, and they said, hey, we need some chaperones for the 5K. I said, okay, well, I guess I better start running. <laughs> and so I started running like a mile here and two here, and then I got up to like a you know three miles, and I ran the 5K with the kids. And I said, well, that wasn't too bad. I didn't do awful. Uh, and so I said, well, right, I'll do another 5k. And then I just ended up starting running 5k's and then 10k's, which, you know, 10k's are 6.2 miles. Then I said, well, if I could do a 10k, I could do a half marathon. So then I started running half marathons. And I said, well, if I did a half marathon, I can do a marathon. So I, I did a couple of marathons. Well, I didn't start running until probably about 42 years old. I think that's when I started. So I started running. I did a marathon 
it was my second second marathon I ever did. Probably towards mile 20, I started feeling really tired. Felt really tired, uh, sluggish. I ended up walking and running the last six miles, which I'd never ever stopped and walked before. I, so, so I walked and ran the last six miles, ended up with the same exact time to 10 seconds slower than I did the year before and I ran the whole time. So I, I finished that, I was like, I don't know what that was. Maybe I was just dehydrated, and yeah. which I knew couldn't be, but that's the only thing I could attribute it to be. So three weeks later, I ran a 10K and I was running the fastest I'd ever run. I was probably gonna be under 40 minutes, which is pretty decent. Uh, I was in third place. I was coming around, I had a quarter to a half mile left, probably like 600 meters left. I could hear the finish, I could see it. And I started having that feeling again that I felt at mile 20 of the marathon a couple weeks earlier. I said, well, there's that feeling again. And my legs, I wanted them to move, and they weren't moving as fast as I could. I started getting yeah. real dizzy. And then I passed out. I had never done that before. And I passed out. I hit the pavement. But I woke up on the grass. So I must have hit the pavement and then rolled over on the grass. No, well, I hit the pavement. I got up. I ran about 100 more feet. And then I hit the pavement again and woke up on the grass. Um, I woke up, and this guy's like, you're done, man. You're done. And... uh just people were just passing me and passing me. And that's all I remember. Um, I just, it, I wasn't in pain, but I just felt it was just really, really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I could hear people talking all around me. I couldn't see anything for a minute. And then, then I came into focus and I could see people and hear people. And I could hear them talking about my, uh, you know, they, they were worried. Then they called the paramedics and then my daughter came running by. And it was her first 10K ever. And she's like, Dad. I said, keep running. I'm fine. So she kept <laughs> running. She finished. She's actually now um, a junior in high school. This was when she was in sixth grade. Wow. And, uh, or six, seventh, sixth or seventh grade. And she's now a junior um, looking at colleges to go to because she's like a top, a top state uh, rank, top, top ranked state runner. She's like amazing. The state. So, um, but she, she ran through the finish line and ran back. By that time, they were loading me up uh, in the ambulance. And uh, the uh, person who hooked me up was like, oh, you have a right bundle branch block. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't have any heart. You know, I had it like a long time. She goes, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. I'm not a cardiologist, but that's what is showing. She hooked me up through the EKG. Yeah. So turns out she was right. Uh, um, so, so they took me in. They kept me for a couple of days. They ran some tests. They're like, well, you know, that's weird. Well, and the reason I tell the story about when I was 18 is because I'm wondering if this is what I had back then. It was yeah. the same thing. It's just they didn't have the equipment to show then. So they put me on a Holter monitor, which if you ever had one of those, it's just like hooks up to your, like the stickies on your chest. Yep. And you hook it to your belt. I'm not a big fan of those because I don't think that really shows. I mean, you can run with it, but it's a real pain in the butt. Yeah. When you sleep with it, you pull the things out all yep. night. You can't surf in it, which is what I did all the time. So I don't think it was really showing accurate data. So I did wear the Holter monitor for a while. I did run with it once, and this is a funny story, a little side story. So I have ADHD, so you're going to get me focused back on what we were talking about. <laughs> um, I did run with it once because I was working at an elementary school in a pretty rough part of town, and one of my kids had stolen an iPad. And so... She was on the bus and the assistant principal found out she stole it <laughs> and she went to call her off the bus and she jumped out the emergency exit, started running to her neighborhood. No the way. Neighborhood's a really, really rough neighborhood, but I run through there. All, I used to run through there all the time. So I kind of, you know, the kids knew me uh, like I was like the, the only crazy tattooed up bearded white guy running through the neighborhood. So they knew <laughs> it was Mr. Chitty so they, and they would run with me. But so anyway, she takes off running toward the neighborhood. I'm like, oh no, I gotta get her before she gets there. Cause what's it gonna look like me chasing a little kid through the yeah. neighborhood? So I run about, I caught, the girl ran over a, like about a mile. Wow. I caught her right before the neighborhood. I said, honey, come on, it's all right. I'm like, you know, let's just, so I gave her mom, actually I used to coach a, a, um, a nonprofit uh, track team for kids yeah. and I gave her mom a card. I was like, look, this kid's gotta come run for me. But anyway. That, so I did run with a Holter monitor, and I remember the doctor looking at the data. He's like, what were you doing on this day? I was like, oh, yeah, I had to, I had to run and chase somebody. So long story short, I, I had no, like, the Holter monitor, I, I went back in. I was like, look, man, I don't think this thing is really collecting accurate data. He said, well, we have this new thing that we could put inside you, 
and uh, it's called a reveal link and it's about the size of your the end of your pinky real little so they put it in my i guess in, in my pec in my chest like like right above my heart mm. in the meaty part of your pectoral so and does that involve like a, an operation like a so i just went in and he just cut a little hole and shoved it in there and glued it back so it was real it was an in and out they put you kind of like in that twilight stage. Uh, I had that, and then I could do everything. I could surf and, yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Well, then they started getting real data because they were getting... But what happened was, like, so this was in June. In December, they started getting all this data. All my, all my stuff was happening at night. That's why I never had symptoms, or so I thought, during the day, yeah. other than being super tired all the time. Mm-hmm. But then I started coughing a lot. Like, whenever I do any exercise, I would start coughing a lot. And, um, you know, I don't smoke or anything, so I'm mm-hmm. like, why am I coughing? I wasn't sick. Um, but they started getting this data that my heart was stopping in the middle of the night. All right, okay. And so wow. I happened to have this little sleep app on my phone because my wife, she has to sleep in the other room because I would snore so bad. Mm. And um, and I'm like, no, so much of a snore, but I would like, it's kind of like a sleep apnea. Yep. And um, so it was like a, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Or I would stop breathing, <laughs> and then I go <laughs> like make this sound. It just sounds like Dracula. It was scared to death. So I had the sleep app. I was like, I don't snore, and so I would record myself on the sleep app. And so anything, it picks up anything in the room. It picks up snores, farts, talking, everything. <laughs> so what it picked up was like these coughs. And I'm like, what is that? And it was just one big, huh, one big dry cough. When they called me and told me my heart was stopping, they said, okay, your heart stopped it. 1.30 in the morning for three seconds. I would look back at that data, and I had a cough at 1.30 in the morning. Wow. Said, okay, you coughed at 3.30 in the morning. Your heart stopped for five seconds. And I look back, and I had a cough. And I'm like, that's weird. So I had all these coughs coinciding with these stoppages. So I don't know, I guess with my body getting my heart started is what the, the doctors figured. But I remember I was wake up just drenched in this was right towards the end when they started calling me a lot mm-hmm. so look now your heart's stopping for eight seconds and so i would wake up and i would be drenched in sweat like just drenched in sweat like i i thought i peed myself yeah you know just i was just covered in sweat just all around my chest then i peed the bed like three times my wife was getting really really mad with me yeah i can <laughs> like, imagine she goes what are you doing i said i don't know i'm not even drinking i don't know why i'm peeing the bed. I've, you know, you've been married to me 20 years. I've never peed yeah. in bed. Well, it was coinciding with these long pauses. Um, and so I would just like, I peed the bed like three times that month. And I was, and I was just wake up drenched in sweat. I was waking up a lot. And see, I thought waking up 10 times, 15 times a night was normal uh, over the years. So they called me. They said, look, man, your heart is stopping for five seconds, eight seconds the other night. So you got to come in for a pacemaker. Well, I heard the word pacemaker freaked yeah. out because I said, well, that's for old people. <laughs> my dad just got one. My dad has the same exact, like my dad's 82. Yeah. So the year before I got my pacemaker, two years before I got my pacemaker, he got his. He has bradycardia and a type 2 heart block. But see, he was also a two-pack-a-day or three-pack-a-day smoker. He was also, yeah, had all these other issues. I, you know, I'm, you know, help healthy you know i heard pacemaker i was like oh my gosh this is the end of the world i was like this is for old people so i started researching and i was like pacemaker surfer pacemaker runners i had only um known of one pro surfer with a pace or one surfer with a pacemaker i had known of no runners and so i started looking pacemaker runners pacemaker this and that and all i could find was like pacers for like running you know when you have somebody oh yes yeah yeah and i was like man i can't find anything so i found these guys on Facebook called the Cardiac Athletes. Actually, I found a book, and then I found that they had a group on Facebook. So they're based out of Australia and England. So Lars Andrews, he's he's a Brit, but he has it was an Australian transplant. And then Russ Vesley, he's he's a old school punk rocker, like from the 70s and 80s. Amazing. And he lives in England, and he's a, I think he's a professor in Oxford. I think I'm I'm not quite certain, but I know he does. You know, so he, he's, um, you know, punk rock to the core still to this day. <laughs> so he has a pacemaker. He does 100-mile races in under 24 hours, which is a, a feat in of itself, yeah. much less with a pacemaker. I think it's 18, hour, uh, 18 hours he's done a 100-miler in. So um, 
and then uh, Roland Malkin and, and Sean Doyle, they, they live in England. And so I met these guys and I, I bought the book off of Amazon called Cardiac Athletes. Mm. And I was like, started reading the stories. I'm like, wow, these guys are just like me. You know, some of these stories are just like mine. This yeah. is amazing. Life doesn't have to stop. So, and, and I knew I wasn't going to have a pity party. I, I had broken my foot in half surfing a few years before. I was miserable and I was having the pity party and it was like so many weeks of, you know, I was in traction. Uh, it, took, it took forever to recoup and I had a miserable attitude about it. I was just like, why me? Mm. You know, and it took, I, I healed up, but it, it took forever. And then I had spinal surgery after that. Uh, on a disc in my neck, I had a total discectomy, and they went in. The, they went in the front and went in the Oof. all the way to the back and took out a disc and put it in like a titanium cage and plates in a, in a synthetic disc, and that was again three months of recovery. All I could yeah. do was walk. That's actually how I became a runner. I I could only walk every day, so I walked five miles a day, and I was like, well, walk is not so bad when it's all you can do. And then I started running, jogging, and I started running. So that's actually how you know. I would have never run had I not done that and then done that 5K with the kids. So, but when I had that surgery, I said, you know what? I remember what it was like to have my foot surgery. So I'm going to have a good attitude about this and just accept it for what it is mm. and just enjoy my rehab. So all I did that summer when I had spinal surgery was watch old monster movies and horror flicks and walk five miles a day. Wow. And it was a summer ever. I didn't. Uh, and so... Um, then, uh, so when I had this pacemaker thing, I said, okay, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to have a pity party for one day. That's going to be my pity party. My <laughs> you know, I, I won't say I wasn't scared. I was scared because you're a pacemaker, you know, that's usually comes death. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're like 80 years old and done. So uh, once I learned about it and educated myself on it and realized, wow, there's a lot of people out there with it. I was like, I I'm okay. And so I hooked up with these guys. I hooked up with these guys and I learned and I read the book and I was like, wow, you know, this, this is, I'm going to try to inspire others as these guys have inspired me. Mm. So I went in and I got my pacemaker. My doctor was awesome. It's Henry Patel. And, uh, and he was amazing. I lucked out because a lot of these guys have a hard time finding doctors like there's that work with people that have active lifestyles. Yeah. And, um, uh, as Russ Besley, you know, my, my uh, punk rock yeah. cardiac athlete from England, he says that he calls it a tyranny of low expectations uh, <laughs> that, that is promoted in the medical community. It's like, oh, you have a heart problem. Sit on the couch and eat bonbons the rest of your life. Well, no, you know, that's the worst thing you can do. And it's like this, this tyranny of low expectations. That there's um American Sports Medicine Association. They had these heart games. I'm like, oh, cool, heart games. <laughs> I'm going to go and see. They had beanbag toss, the one mile walk, um, <laughs> horseshoes. I'm like, what is this? So, you know, me and the other cardiac athletes started asking them and they kind of uh, were snarky in their responses. And we're like, look, this is not cardiac athletes. This is, these are, you know. These parlor are, games. <laughs> yeah, parlor games. It's like, this is like, this. Is, the beanbag toss became a big joke to us. And we're like, um, you know, the, we, we are out here. We are out here. And so I lucked out because my, my cardiologist, you know, I said, look, can I still run? He goes, of course you can. Can I still do these things? He said, absolutely. And he said, let's watch. And so he was, um, he didn't limit me. I, I, I started getting, um, my, my coach, he owns this, uh, without, it's called Without Limits, which is kind of ironic because, you know, this, the, I, you try to think I have no limits. I, <laughs> I work within my boundaries, but push my limits, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I, I got a you know, my plans with him. I give my plan to my cardiologist. He looks at it. He's like, man, it looks good. And so, you know, he monitors um, everything. And, uh, you know, I just, I run smart. Again, going back to my cardiologist, mm. he said, I'm not going to limit you. Uh, let's, let's, you know, work small and build up. So that's what I did. I, for about seven weeks, I wasn't allowed to lift anything or do anything because you have to let the leads yeah. are anchored in your heart. Now, I have a dual, what's called a dual chamber. So I have two leads that go into each chamber of my heart, and then I have my pacemaker. They have a new one that they could put in through your femoral artery and send it all the way up, and it sits inside your heart, and it's wireless. No way. But, but mine is, mine, the way, what I have, I need that dual lead, because each chamber does something funky. Sometimes my bottom chamber paces, sometimes my top chamber paces. Right, okay. So I went from pacing like 30 minutes, 30 percent of the time. I think I pace about 60% of the time. 
I'm not pacemaker dependent yet, but you know, it is um, about 60%. So anyway, um, I, I get, I, I'm talking to these cardiac athletes. Mm. I read the book. I have my cardiologist. Um, I can make a plan. I talked to my coach, Tom Clifford at without limits. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I said, I'm going to call, I'm going to run a marathon within 11, before the year's out. Amazing. Said, all right. I said, I'm going to run a marathon. And this was, I got the pacemaker December and I got it. I got it the day year anniversary to my mom that my mom died. Okay. Which was really, um, you know, it, it was really, you know, and, and there's been a lot of moments where I felt like her presence with mm. me. Um, but it was a year to the day that my mom died. I got my pacemaker. I got my pacemaker December 10th. I started running again seven weeks later. And I remember it was a cold, sleety day. It was sleeting and raining and windy. And I went out in the rain. It was the best run I ever had. I, <laughs> it was slow. It was slow, but I felt so good. Yeah. And so I started training again. I ran a half marathon that March, but I just, I didn't race it. I promised my wife I wouldn't race it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to lie. My daughter and wife were really worried about me on the first year I was running races. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, and so... Um, and so I, I ran the half marathon. I paced it with my, you know, with a pace group. And I had a really good time not racing. It was the first race I ever raced <laughs> and didn't race it. Uh, but I finished it pretty decent. Then I had a couple other races that, that uh, summer. And I had a marathon that November in the Outer Banks. And it ended up getting a personal, personal record. Wow. Wow. Um, of like three hours and 37 minutes, which for me, that was good. Yeah. Um, then um, it was about a five-minute PR. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to qualify for Boston. <laughs> You're like, all right. And so my friend was telling me, he goes, well, look, you know, with your pacemaker, you could probably get some type of waiver. I said, no, I want to do it the regular way. I want to qualify, like, for real. Amazing. I don't want any handicap. So um, I... Uh, uh, and what is it? Another thing Russ Bestley says and Lars, they, they call it, uh, oh shoot, it'll come to me later. They call it like, uh, 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 it's really, uh, I can't believe I can't remember it right now, but I'll remember it. But anyways, I, I was, oh, cardiac cripple. I was okay. like, I'm not a cardiac cripple. <laughs> That's what they say. And so I said, no, I want to do it. So I trained, I ran another marathon after that, I think I got down to like 333. Wow. I'm trying to think where that one was. Might have been Wrightsville Beach. So I'm not, not super familiar with, with the marathon running world. So, so is, there, is it almost like you have to hit a certain number of, of, of um, set, like is there a, a qualifying time? Is it like in, in other okay, athletics? So, as it is? so yeah, so marathon is 26.2 miles. Okay. Um, ironically, it used to not be 26. Two miles. It was 26.2 miles because I believe, I believe this is true. Uh, this is what I've heard that they had the first uh, the Olympic marathon in, in England and they wanted it to end in front of the palace. So they yeah, had the extra mileage. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, so it's 26.2 to qualify for certain races like Boston and New York and things mm. like that. You had to have certain qualifying marks. My qualifying time for my age was three hours and 30 minutes okay so i'd ran 337 i said you know what i'm gonna run i'm gonna qualify for boston i think the next marathon i hit i ran 333 so i said okay i'm getting there i said you know what i'm gonna do it so i really upped my game with my training and my plan and my coach i was still going to three checkups a year with my pacemaker yeah. and everything i was had no issues i was sleeping tremendously i i hadn't realized how good i slept or how crappy I slept for years until I had my pacemaker. That's amazing. When I got my pacemaker, the next day I was so jacked up. I was getting all this oxygen to my brain mm -hmm. that I never had before. I almost <laughs> overdid it that weekend. <laughs> I was just going and going and going. And I did 337 and 333. And I said, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to qualify for Boston. So I got with my coach. I said, look, this is what I want to do. Um, 330 is what I need for Boston. But the thing is, with Boston, you usually need a cushion. Because they'll go like, they'll say, okay, ages 50 to 54 or 45 to 49, I think how, yeah, 45 to 49, they'll need this time. So they said, uh, or I think I was going 50, 54, because uh, I was 50 that year. Yeah. So 
they said, uh, like, so it's 330. Well, they'll start going down the list, and there's a lot of fast 50-year-old able-bodied runners out there that run, like, <laughs> low threes, okay. some sub-three-hour sub marathon, which is crazy. Because I'll put it this way, a 320 marathon, is a 321 marathon is like a 745 pace. Okay, wow. So, so a sub-three marathon, you're looking at a seven pace. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, so these guys, um, so you want to cushion. You want to really crush the goal because say they'll go down, like it used to be hitting the qualifying marks was enough, but then they will um, say, they'll, they'll, they'll start and they'll say, okay, we have this many that it ran like 20 minutes faster. Mm. And then they'll go down. So then they're like, okay, we have this many spots left or whatever. So basically the year I ran it, they were making the cutoff, even though you qualified, you had to have two minutes. I think they cut it off at two minutes. So if you ran a, a 328, yep. you didn't get in. Wow. Even though you, even though you hit the mark. Yeah. It means that, that there was, they, they were, you know, you, you didn't get in. Okay. You had to have that cushion. So, so I ended up running, I ran in South Carolina in December two years to the date of my pacemaker and the date and two years to the date of my mother's death. I ran a 325, no 323. Amazing. And, um, and, and it was in 330 was my qualifying mark. So I had a seven minute, um, window. Mm -hmm. So I was good. I was in, it might've been a five minute cushion. I think it was a ridiculous cushion. I think it was like five minutes. So oh, people real. that ran a three, 325 that neither the 330 did not get in that year. That's what it was. Wow, wow. And I ran a 323 because I was with the 325 group and at mile 22, I was feeling so good. I was like, Hey, I'm out. And they're <laughs> like, and my pacer, he's from Georgia. He's like, all right, man, go on. And I, saw, and I took <laughs> off. And I remember it was a smaller marathon and I'm running and, and I'm doing my last couple of miles. And there's not a lot of people because it's a smaller marathon and I'm yeah. seeing people and I'm going, I'm going to Boston. And somebody goes, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I do. <laughs> and then somebody, I heard somebody say, he does. That's a big deal. <laughs> like, I was, so I kept on, I kept on going. I, I, um, and I remember that was the first time I ever got emotional running a race. I was running down the chute, which is the finish area. Yeah. And I realized, oh my gosh, this is the anniversary of my pacemaker, the anniversary of my mom's death. And I was like, and I just felt like she was just there holding my, holding my shoulders up, you know? And, yeah, I, amazing. and I just ran through and I saw my, I didn't know my coach was going to be there. And he's right there at the finish line, just grinning huge. <laughs> and I saw some of my friends and everything. I was like, this is amazing. And so I, I ran through, I, I qualified. First thing I did was send in my qualifying times uh, <laughs> to, to Boston. I qualified for Boston. And meanwhile, I had been setting PRs, uh, running a minute and 30 seconds, a, a one, one hour and 30 minute half marathons. And that's, I've gotten down to 130.18. I, I haven't broken that 130 mark yet, which is about a six, 50, six minute, 50 second pace. That is just seems so fast for a non-runner like me, just so fast. <laughs> it, it, and so I've been hitting 130. So I was like, okay, so the, the, the formula for a, a, a marathon is you double your half and add 10 minutes. So that okay. should be about a 312 marathon for me. But I, for some reason, those numbers just don't jive w w with my running. Then I started training for Boston and I ran Boston uh, last year in 2019. With Boston, you never know what the weather's going to be like. Yeah, I can it imagine. Could be, <laughs> it could be hot. It could be cold. It could be. So my best running is like 40 degrees, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know what that, you guys use Celsius. Yeah, we do. And I can't think of it right now, but. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I'll put it, I'll tell you what. Sweater weather and gloves okay, yeah, yeah, fair. and beanies. That's 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 my favorite to run in. Why is that your um, favorite? What is it about it, that weather that's kind of because um because when you run, always dress cool twenty degrees cooler than it is because your body will heat up twenty degrees. Yeah. So that's like running about sixty degree weather. I love it because I can shed clothes, but when it's hot, you can't only take off so much. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so, <laughs> and so um and, and you can't uh, and so. I'll, I'll run and like, I'll just run and throw away stuff. I'll go yeah. to the thrift store and get some stuff and just sh throw it away as I'm, as I warm up. It happened to be 75. It rained all morning and it was muddy and we were sitting in the mud waiting for it to start. And then it started and about 10 miles into it, it got to be 75 to 78 degrees and, wow. sunny <laughs> and no wind. Oh. 
and it was hot. And so I ran, I was about mile 16, and I had plan A, B, C, and D. My plan mm. was 315. I was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. And I kept seeing people falling out. And then I saw somebody go into cardiac arrest. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to lie, that kind of yeah. sent me into a little PS, PTSD moment. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I've been there. And uh, so about mile 16, I, I, I was running with these two girls. I saw them running. And I said, hey, what are you guys going for? And they told me. I said, oh, me too. So I ran with them for a few miles. I said, okay, y'all go ahead. This ain't, I'm not going to keep this up. Because yeah. um, So I went, my plan A was 315. My plan B was like sub 320. My plan C was just to qualify. My plan D was to crawl across the line. <laughs> so I went to plan, I ended up going to plan C by the time I hit the hill. So like Boston in itself, the whole course is hilly. Yeah. But the lat, at the end of the, at the end of the course, it has a couple of hills and one of them is called Heartbreak Hill and it's called Heartbreak Hill for a reason. <laughs> I personally didn't think it was as bad as the other hill before that. Yep. But by then, my mind was just in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I so I, once I crested that, I, I was able to pick up my pace a little bit and finish um, across the line at 321, wow. which was another pr personal record for me. When I qualified for Boston, it was 330. Yeah. But then they changed it because so many people got faster or they had that five minute. Like, yeah. you know, you had to have that five minutes faster than the, yep. so they changed it to 325 that year. So I had a four minute cushion for this year. I was in, uh, the, the cushion that they ended up with this year was two minutes. So it was a five minute cushion you needed the first year. Then it was yep. a two minute cushion this year. I was like, well, the Richmond marathon was in this past November. I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and run Richmond. So I could qualify for Boston 2021. Okay. Because you never know what Boston 2020 is going to throw at you. Yep. I ran Richmond Marathon with the hope, hopes of 315 again. Well, the weather was perfect, but the wind was 35 to 40 miles an hour. Wow, and that's a, fast. <laughs> and it was a headwind from mile 11 the whole way. Whoa. So I went out probably a little fast because I felt good, but I got mile 11 and it was in the wind. I maintained my pace till we hit this bridge. And it was literally, we were tucking in behind each other, trying to block the wind because it was that hard. And that took it out of me. And after the bridge, I couldn't get under an eight-minute pace. I ran, I ended up running 323. So it's the first time I had never gotten a personal record in a marathon. Yeah. I did qualify for 2021 by about a minute and a half, two minutes. Okay. But I don't know if that's enough to get me in. Yeah. So the pressure's on for 2020. Well... I was like, no problem, because I run good under pressure. Okay. And I like Boston. I like the course. I love mm. the, how electric it is and how the people just, for 26 miles, the people are three deep on either side of the road. That's in, that is and, insane, and yeah. It, it, it is like, the, the, that alone keeps you going. Wow. And so, so I said, okay, well, I'll just qualify this spring at Boston for 2021, or I'll get a better cushion for 2021, because I'm fearful that I'm just not going to have that, that, that time. Of course, Boston, we're training, training up through it. It gets postponed because of COVID. Yeah. So they moved it to September. Okay. So I was training up for it. I was like, you know what? Do I? Like when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My coach said, look, just cut everything by 10%. We'll just have to train twice. And that's the whole joke now. It's like, <laughs> Boston Marathon, train tries one run once. <laughs> I, I think Boston up there, I think the weather that time of year is pretty good. Okay. But anyway, so hopefully they're going to have it. Uh, like I said, I, I, I don't know. You know what's going to what's going to happen, yeah. but um, uh, hopefully they'll have it. I'll run it this September. Yep. I start my new training plan in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, I took a week off, gained I'm nine pounds in a week <laughs> from like peanut butter, whiskey, and beer. <laughs> and, uh, and, That's and, a good combination, and, though. <laughs> and Chick Fil A. And Chick Fil A. I don't know if you have Chick Fil A over there. No, I know it. I do know. It. I've, I've, oh, I've ha- I have had it before, but it's not something we have over here. We, ha- I think we had one. They opened one, and it just didn't. It wasn't very successful. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we have one down the road. So I was like amazing. that peanut butter, whiskey, and beer. I was like, okay. And it's, I don't even drink a lot. I only had like, like, a, you know, a few. Yeah. And uh, but. But I was, and then we were working out of the house too. So working out of the house, a coach, I wasn't coaching because we're not allowed to have contact yep. with the kids. So it was a lot of sedentary, you know, even though it was, you know, and then I, I started running again. I'm getting back into shape. I had the past two days have been the best I've felt. Um, ran like 11 and a half today okay. on the trails. So as a, like a marathon runner, can you sort of, I don't know if you can do this because uh, it might be a bit tricky, but could you sort of talk me through how your mind gets you through 26 miles of running. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, you know, I train six days a week. Yep. Um, my training, I'll just start with that. My training, and and, and I'm tell you the truth, I should do much more than I do. Like, I should do more core, I should do strength, I should do yoga. Mm-hmm. I'm so lazy, I'm so lazy. <laughs> you don't sound it like, to me. <laughs> I, I run, I surf, I body surf, I, you know, when I can, I, I haven't surfed in a few months because I've been rehabbing. I have a bicep uh, derangement. I don't know how I got it. I was surfing wow. in Florida in December and I, I must have done it then. But it's just like uh, <clears throat> I've been going to physical therapy and that's been getting better. So I've been body surfing a little bit. Um, I'll probably go surfing tomorrow uh, on the longboard. But um, I don't know. I mean, I just I'm compared to my friends. I think I'm pretty lazy to my runner <laughs> friends. But uh, um, so I run. Three days a week are easy runs, mm-hmm. like, you know, between five to eight miles. Okay. Two days a week, I train with my Without Limits team. So Tuesdays, I'll go downtown and I'll do hills. Mm-hmm. Although, see, we haven't been doing that since the COVID either of course, yeah. because of the group gatherings. But we start again Monday because they lifted restrictions in my county. Okay. So we can have groups of 10. So we're just going to break the groups up in, in 10s uh-huh. and do our workouts. So... Uh, we'll go downtown and I'll run like the hills there because that's the only place we have hills and um, where I live. And uh, then Thursdays we go to the track at the college here okay. and we'll do a speed workout. Then Saturdays are my long runs and I'll usually do like anywhere from 10 to 20 miles. Uh, 20 miler being towards the end of the plan mm-hmm. and the you know, 10 milers being at the beginning. So most of them are 10, 15, 16, 17 miles. And I'll do some pace work in them. So meaning like I'll run a few miles and then I'll run like my marathon pace for a few miles or half marathon pace. I'll sprinkle in a race here or there for a speed check. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so by the time the, the marathon gets here and I don't run anything where over, I don't train over 20 miles. Okay. Because um, and so by the time the marathon gets there, you know, I'm pretty confident I can do it. Uh, it's... It is a mind. It is. I'm. Telling you, it feels like 90% mind. Yeah. Um. You have to will yourself to do things sometimes, and and then you have to have a mantra, like uh, you know, like th- think of something before your race that you're gonna be. That's gonna be your mantra when time when going gets tough. Yep. Um. Also, I think about my cardiac athlete guys. I think about how far I've come. I think about the kids I coach. Because, yep. man, I use my pacemaker all the time with those fools. They, they're like, oh, coach, I got a blister. I said, yeah, I got a pacemaker. What's your excuse? <laughs> okay. You know, and they get on the line. I was like, get on the line. They're like, you know, they, they, they don't argue. And, and I have to tell them, you know, my, my daughter, um, you know, I, I, I had to be a good example for her. And I want, you know, the mental grit and mental toughness is something you can't teach. Yep. You just have to live it. 
And I tell you what, since my heart issue happened, you know, and I, I'm a, I'm a religious person and I, mm. I, I prayed and I said, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I know it's for a reason. I said, so I'm going to use it. How can I use it? And that's when I started like the wired athlete and the kind of thing. And I really know plan on what I was going to do. I just started like Facebook, the wired athlete and yeah. Instagram. And I just posted my runs and stuff like that. And, uh, just in hopes that somebody might else might say, wow, they, he has a pacemaker. I can do this too. And, and I'll get messages sometimes from people and, and just say, wow, you know, I didn't think that that was you know possible. I, I also started communicating with that pro surfer with a pacemaker, a okay. longboarder. And, um, we started communicating cause he was inspirational to me. Mm. Um, I've had some other athletes like, uh, uh, there's a girl with spina bifida that does Spartan races, Misty Diaz. Wow. And she, she, she's been inspirational to me. My friend, Buddy One Leg, uh, he has no legs now, but he goes by Buddy One Leg. He's an adaptive <laughs> athlete, uh, skateboarder and snowboarder. Now he's a wheelchair athlete, uh, like goes on ramps and stuff on his wow. wheelchair. But uh, he's a, a, a old school punk rock skater out in California. He's been inspirational to me. And we actually communicate quite often. And I have a bunch of posters I hooked him up with this uh, Mobility 101, and they, they made some posters for him. They're, they work with adaptive uh, kids and athletes. Mm. And so they were clearing out their warehouse, and they said, hey, you're a friend of Buddy's. You want these posters? I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> so I give them away to kids at school nice. when they need to be inspirational. And one of his quotes on there is, don't let anybody tell you you can't. They don't know you and your heart. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it says Buddy <laughs> One Leg. And, 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 and Buddy Elias is his name. Yeah. And... Um, so, you know, these guys have been inspirational to me. I said, you know, I want to be inspirational to others. And my heart story is easy compared to some of these cardiac athletes I mm. have that have had transplants and like Widowmakers and all these other things and, and like to, like just had their chest ripped open like a lobster and and, and stuff done. You know, I, I'm mine's pretty mild uh, compared to them. But everybody, you know, still needs to be inspired. Mm. Um, and, and so... Uh, but getting back to the, to, to the marathon, I told you, I, like, I'll go down rabbit. No, it's good. Now. It's good because uh, you um, kind of touched on something I'm going to come to in a minute. So yeah. we'll come back to it in a second. That's cool. Yeah. So, so, you know, I just, I think about all those people when I'm, when the going gets tough mm. and I'm like, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. I've done this before. I can do it. And I just will myself. I really do. I, I will myself to do it. There's no other thing than that because my body by 20 something miles, your body is done what it can do. I bet. And it's, <laughs> And you're willing it to, to go. And, and that's what I've done. I've just willed it to go. I like, I've got to get it. I, I, I'm going to, and I think about, I visualize that finish line. I visualize a lot. Are you focused on the end or are you focused on sort of small goals as you go through? So or is it a I'm bit of focused, both? I, I think about me personally, I think about that finish line. Okay. And I think about, you know, the food I'm going to eat <laughs> and, the, and the beer I'm going to drink. And, the, and I just, but I think about the people supporting me. Yeah. I think about the kids I coach. I think about my daughter. Um, I think about, you know, because she has that, that drive and that mental grit, you know, and, yeah. and, and she has pushed through. Uh, and so I think about her and I think about uh, if I quit, what am I showing, you know? Yeah. And, and I just, you know, I just push through and, and, I, and I do it. And then, you know, I just set another goal for myself. Amazing. Amazing. Um, you, you touched on the fact uh, that you've, you've got a faith yourself. Um, mm. and I just wondered if, you know, you, your condition was so almost undiagnosed for so long and, and you were prob- probably without knowing quite close to death on, on numerous occasions. How do, you, how do you reconcile that, that thought or is it not something you, you think about? Like what? Well, no, no, you know what? I, so so I, I had, you know, I've always been a believer. I've always been, yeah. you know, but um, when my mom died, let's go back a year before my pacemaker, she, she died in my arms. So she called me to, to the hospice. And I spent the last seven days with her. Mm. And I was blessed enough to have her die in my arms. And I know people are like, why would you want that? And, oh, because she wasn't alone. Yeah. You know? and, she, and she called me to bed. She goes, this time. And, and it wasn't, wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't like in the movies where they just drift yeah. off to sleep. She was red. She was shaking. She was feverish. I was holding her. I got to tell her I loved her. She got to tell me she loved me. I got to kiss her. She got to kiss me. She, she, it was, it was a beautiful moment mm. as, as horrific as it was. It was a, it was a beautiful moment. So I got to see death from that perspective. Yeah. 
and I realized, you know, it's not, and I had too many moments, this would take an hour to tell, but during that week in hospice, I had too many God moments. And I was like, that, that just couldn't be explained. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I came out of there believing even more. So, but I also came out of there not fearful of death as I was before. Um, okay. And then I had my own experience with death, like w- when I passed out. Yeah. And that was probably the closest I personally came. Well, and then I, I had a little fire ant issue about a year later. Right. Where I went in an anaphylactic shock. Wow. I found out I was deathly allergic to fire ants. So, um, I've had a, so being on both sides of it, I realize I'm not scared of death anymore. Hmm. I, I realize we're on this earth for such a short period of time. And um, I, I live with hope every day. And I live with hope in the afterlife too. But I, I just, I'm not scared of death. I don't want to die because yeah. I know it would hurt mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> I don't, and I don't want to leave my wife, and I don't yeah, want to yeah. leave my daughter. Fair. But I'm not, I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. Um, like I was, and and this whole thing, and and it's very common. I was talking to somebody the other day, one of the cardiac athletes, because we were very active on our Facebook page. Yeah. And we're very supportive of each other, like very supportive. Uh, the only time we ever gave anybody grief was when this guy who was a life coach came on trying to sell his wares, <laughs> and we just let him have it, dude. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. We're like, don't tell a bunch of people who are on death's door how to live. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we know what we're doing. And so um, I was, I'm not scared anymore. It, it, I, I don't want to die, mm. but I feel like every day is a bonus now. I know where I'm going. And it, it's just, there's some solace in that. Uh, so I was talking to some people and, and, and they said it's very common for people to get depressed once they have these heart issues and mm. have surgery. And it's very common in any major surgery or, or, or anything like that to have a bout of depression after that because you're not as active as you were and so you yeah. don't have it, those endorphins going and you're not having that dopamine levels up and that that cortisol which is your stress chemical in your brain that's high up and your dopamine which is your happy chemical that's low mm. so it's you're going to get depressed um and so we're talking about it being very common for people to have depression uh and, and you know because you're also thinking about mortality yep and uh when you're faced with your own mortality that's uh that's kind of heavy yeah. you know and you have to process through it and my cardiac athlete brothers and sisters you know they really did help me process through that i'm not scared of it i'm not scared of dying i don't want to die mm-hmm. i'll you know and 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 uh, hopefully I'll, I'll live for a long time um do you I, feel I say, huh? sorry karen <laughs> oh I was, I was gonna say I, I did get my daughter checked for heart issues yeah. um i had an ekg done on her and and she's good she doesn't have what i have amazing um, and, uh, because that's, I fear, you know, I feared that I feared her, mm. you know, dropping dead or not waking up one morning. Um, so that was a, a relief for me. That's amazing. Um, and, and I worked with the school, with the school nurses and everything and they're getting EKGs done for our sports athletes. Cause in England, I think you guys do a really good job of screening school age children, athletes, uh, but we don't do that here. And uh, not with EKGs or heart. So we got some handheld EKGs. So you can put your thumbs on them and kind of get a, and then if there's anything abnormalities then you can go get a real one. But they're doing that now for our athletes here That's in, amazing. in my county. Um, I was talking to the nurse about it. And I said, you know, can we get this going? Because I was trying to do some fundraiser for it. Yeah. And she said, you know what? She said, let me talk to some people. And so she talked to the, and the school board and, and, and talked to the powers that be and they're doing. Uh, they're doing it following this following year. That's incredible. That is incredible. I think uh, what happens in the UK now has 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 come as a result of many unfortunate deaths. I think in sport from from undiagnosed conditions mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's a lot of sudden cardiac death. It's it's a positive thing that's come from that sad unfortunate thing. I think in a way that that actually we're able to do that, and obviously with our healthcare system being publicly funded, that helps as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is so. It's such. I think when obviously I, my my condition is slightly different to yours, but um, when I was diagnosed, it was that sort of feeling that everything has changed when it hadn't in reality. And I think it took me it took me a while to sort of get get my head around that. It's just that I now know what's wrong with me rather than it being different. Do you think you were able to get to the stage where you got a pacemaker because you had the work that you're doing now was your purpose? Or or do you think, it, do you not quite subscribe to that kind of thing? You know what? No, no, I absolutely. That's why, like, I, I, I think, I feel that I'm living life better now than I ever have mm. lived. I'm more appreciative of it. Things happen. It's up to, and I know you hear things happen for a reason. Mm. I think things happen, period. It's up to you to determine the reason. 
Fair. You know, it, it's up to you to determine what you're going to use it for. Yep. You could um, sit on the couch and have a pity party and be a victim. I think that, especially in the United States, I think we, we really promote the victim stance to the nth degree. Um, I see it in the kids. I'm a school counselor and, mm -hmm. and I've been in mental health for 20 years. And I see it all the time. It's like, you know, we, we diagnose somebody and people rise to that level of diagnosis, be it mental health or physical or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think people rise to that level of diagnosis and they go and, and they're like, and, and that's the way they think it's supposed to be. And they, 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 they subscribe to that diagnosis and they live their life within the confines of that diagnosis. And um, I always said, like, I, I want to live life as it's meant to be lived. I, I, said, I said this in, uh, actually, the second Cardiac Athletes book uh, mm. just came out. Okay, and, cool. And um, I have a story in there. And, and, and I said in that chapter, I said, I refuse to live life, or I said, I want to live life as it's meant to be lived. I refuse to live life like a, a zombie just wandering through life waiting for a headshot to end a miserable existence <laughs> you know yeah. and, and i think a lot of people do that they, they they wander through just waiting for the end to come and what kind of life is that you know yeah. and, uh, i'm scared of certain things like because i have a heart issue like this whole COVID thing i'm like yeah you know I, i'm more susceptible yeah um but uh you know i can't live life in fear Mm -hmm. You know, and so I'm smart about things, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I maybe should be more cautious than I am. But um, I, I just, you know, I, I really do think that we promote a victim stance because we go, oh, it's a diagnosis. And like in mental health, we go, oh, it's okay. It's everybody else's fault. And you blame it on the diagnosis. And I see that all the time in kids and adults. Mm. They will blame things on the diagnosis. And I'm like, look, you know, that's what you have. It's not who you are. Mm. And I think people a lot of times start identifying with the diagnosis as who they are. And that's my whole purpose is just to kind of inspire others not to be defined by a diagnosis and not to be defined by circumstances because you can break yourself out of that, out of that, out of that definition. And, and, and um, you know, I'm not saying like if you have a health issue, be stupid and, and, and just disregard what the doctors say. Be mm -hmm. smart and heal right. Yeah. But like I said, you know, you can, you can work within your boundaries and, and push, comfortably push your limits. I really, the victim stance mentality is one, like I said, I had it when I broke my foot in half. I mean, mm. and I, when I say I broke it in half, I, I crushed it. It sounded like a bag of, bag of potato chips. Oh, my word. <laughs> you know? And it was, it was a, I was a, a pity party, victim stance mentality, why me? And it was miserable. The mm. healing took forever because I was miserable. And you really do. You heal from the inside out, I think. And, and sometimes your attitude is the only thing you have control over. I had this kid I was working with one day and he was washing dishes and somebody said, oh, you got, it was, I was working at a day treatment center where I had like gangbangers and stuff like okay. that. And we were doing, we had culinary arts class and he was washing the dishes and, and this somebody said, oh, you got the easy job. And he said, man, it's hard when you don't want to do it. <laughs> and I said, you know what? It is hard when you don't want to do it. Everything's hard when you don't want to do it. And it's, so it's funny because he doesn't know the impact. He, I, I always remember that, yeah. uh, that quote he, he said. And I was like, you know, it is hard when you don't want to do something. And when you have that victim stance mentality, everything's going to be hard. You're mm. never going to want to do anything. And if you do do something, you're gonna, it's going to be miserable and you're going to go through it, dragging yourself through it. So you have to want to do something. And, and, and uh, you know, just like I said, sometimes you just have to have control over your attitude. Um, and because some it is what it is the situations are what they are um what you know in, in my whole own counseling perspective i'm a more of a cognitive behaviorist i like to, to okay. with a little bit of realism <laughs> but but i like to you know it, it, change your habit of thought let's yeah. change your habit of thought for this you know um i, I call my own, own kind of thing it, it is what it is mm. <laughs> what i tell the kids like it is what it is uh, is what it is it is what it is. What are you going to do about it? You know, I have a lot of kids whose who's dads, like deadbeat dads, and they promise this, they promise that, and the kid's sitting on the porch with a suitcase ready to go, and dad never shows up. Yeah. The kid gets pissed off. The kid's angry. The kid starts taking things out on everybody else and himself. So I work with that type of child, and, and, and like, okay, you know what? I have this, this technique I use with a water bottle. <laughs> it sounds funny, but I use this. I basically... I have a water bottle and I learned it from an old professor, but I, 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 he used a lamp. I use a water bottle because that's usually what I have with me all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I have these uh, and this 
I'm saying this story just because it kind of goes in with the victim's dance. I usually have a water bottle with me. And mm. so I, um, I tell the kid, you know, he's got the, the, the dad that he's angry with and he's taking it out on himself and everybody else and walks around angry. I'm like, all right, what's that? And he said, that's a water bottle. I said, give it a hug. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and they hug it. I said, okay, now tell that water bottle you love it. And they're like, they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I said, just tell it you love it, man. Just come on. So they're like, all right, I love you, water bottle. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So I said, now put it down in front of you. And they put it down. And I said, now, wait for it to hug you back. And they go, well, what? And I'm like, wait for it to hug you back. And they, they sit there and they're like, this is stupid. I said, no, seriously, come on. <laughs> wait for it to hug you back. I said, tell it, tell, you, tell it you love it again. And they're like, I love you, water bottle. And they're like, I said, okay, wait for it to tell it loves you. And if, eventually they go, it's not going to hug me back. I said, why? <laughs> And they say, because it was a water bottle. I said, well, what does a water bottle do? They said, well, it holds water. I said, okay. I said, do you expect it to hug you back? They're like, no. I said, then why are you mad at your dad? Wow. <laughs> and then they're like, oh. And it's like, a, I said, for whatever reason, your dad is incapable of, of giving you the love that you want. He's incapable of giving you that hug. He's incapable of showing up and picking you up for that weekend. He's incapable, whatever it is. And usually... 99% of the time, it's like a, dr a drug issue where it's like where, where addicts see yeah. what's right in front of their face and it's blocking what's behind, you know. I have other techniques I use with that. Like, yeah. uh, um, but anyway, I, I was like, why are you mad at your dad for doing something he's incapable of doing? I said, are you mad at that bottle for not hugging you? And they're like, no, I'm not mad at that bottle for not hugging me because it can't. I was like, okay, then your dad, for whatever reason, he's not or he can't give yep. you the love you need. And then they're like, and that's the way I try to get like that. Somebody is what it is. I'm like, it is what it is. You're not going to get it. Don't expect it. If you do, that's a bonus. Yeah. Let's move on with life and okay. let's, let's focus on what we can control and not what we can't control. And so that was like, you know, so sometimes, I, so I said the whole time, like I went off and on that rabbit hole for a reason of saying that sometimes I use that water bottle on myself okay. and I'll be like on things I can't control. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm expecting too much out of something. What can I control? And, you know, my heart issue, you know, I, I can't control that. Yeah. But I can control my attitude about it. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, that, that's, I, I'm not a victim stance person at all. I can't stand it when a kid will say, well, I did it because of my ADHD or I did it because of this or I did it because of that. I did it because, you know, I was like, you know, look, sometimes your circumstances and I have kids whose circumstances suck horribly. Yeah. But there's always somebody with it worse and then never fails. And I'll have, but I'll have some kids with horrible <laughs> circumstances, but yet they're, they're plugging through. But yeah, um, no, I, I just, um, you know, that, I mean, I guess that story also, that little side note just kind of explains, you know, this victim stance in mentality because people can be in a, a, you know, cognitive behavior person. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, we develop these habit of thoughts and, and a habit is, is something you do without thinking. And we can have habits of thought that stick with us our whole life. Yeah. And I think that uh, getting the kids younger and letting them know that they are in control of their attitude and they can overcome adversity and circumstances like the school I used to work at across town, totally different circumstances than the kids I work with now. Yeah. You know, these kids had like lived in a war zone. Uh, with violence and mm. gunfights and drugs and everything. And they were basically living in a war zone every day, you know, and they're like, you know, the, the mental grit and toughness they've shown just amazes me. And, you know, but it's like, it's hard, you know, how can you get them to learn when they're having yeah. to deal with all that? And so, um, but there are people that have overcome uh, horrible circumstances. And so I try to use those people as examples for, for the kids I work with. Mm. And, um, you know, like I said, and, and I'm not totally dismissive of, of their experience. I yeah. don't get me wrong. I don't go, oh, suck it up. Pull yourself up <laughs> by the bootstraps. Big deal. I don't do that. I'm very yeah. empathetic with them. And, and, and uh, but I just try to, to focus on what can you control. Yeah, absolutely. And, I... and, 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 and that's you. Because when you can't focus on, when you focus on things you can't control, you become bitter, you become frustrated, you become, uh, it's miserable. Mm -hmm. And I guess you know? for you as well, like, you're not dismissive of your heart issue, are you? You can see that the effect that it's had on you, but it's, it's about your, the way that you adjusted your mindset to 
deal with it and to move on from it. So Absolutely. yeah. Okay, that's 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 amazing. I just want to thank you so much for your time, Peyton. That has been absolutely fascinating. Um, is well, there anything yeah. else you'd like to cover? I know, just kind of like I rambled with my story, um, but I just you know want people just to know one not to be defined by circumstance or diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't define you, whether it's mental or physical. It does not define you. Um, uh, and number two, you know, just you know, live life as, as it's meant to be lived to the best of your ability, live your best life. Um, and, and you only do have control over, over your attitude and over the way you look at things. And, and it's not a quick fix. Give yourself a break. I think people need to give themselves breaks sometimes and yeah. forgive themselves. And, uh, you know, it's okay to have, uh, to, you know, have a little pity party every once in a while, but don't, 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 you know, have it drag on mm. because then it becomes a mindset. I think that uh, it's okay. I, I don't, you know, to 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 you know set goals. Yeah. But if you falter a little bit, it's okay. Forgive yourself and just keep keep plugging away. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just give up. Have you ever thought about that? Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. I wonder if anyone ever did that. It's a very <laughs> it's, it's a very but yeah, it's a very bizarre saying actually, but <laughs> so common that we maybe we don't question it. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I just I just want people to to know that there are people out there who you know have overcome adversity and and like I said, I think you know grit, mental grit, um, is something that can be. Uh, you, you can develop. Mm. You can develop it. I, 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 I didn't have uh, the, the, the grit that I had before all this. And uh, I realized through all this how much I do have inside me that I've never tapped into. And it doesn't, had to, I guess this had to happen for me to tap into it, but it doesn't have to happen. Things like this don't have to happen for you to tap into it. Amazing. Um, we, we can do more than we think we can. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to keep doing what I can do. Excellent. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to plug just before we go? Uh, no, just, uh, just you know, with the Cardiac Athletes, if you guys want to check out, it's on Amazon. It's called Cardiac Athletes 2, the book. I have uh, some Henry Rollins quotes. I know you you know who Henry Rollins oh, is. Oh, yeah. I know. I know that, <laughs> yeah. And so it's funny. I have a, a Henry Rollins quote in there. It's all this hero time. It's time to shine. Nice. And uh, and then there was a photo in there. They put photo by Henry Rollins. I was like, no, Henry Rollins didn't take the picture. So Henry Rollins got photo. Henry Rollins got photo cred on me um, in, in that book. But uh, it's on Amazon, and it's it's a real. I don't get any money from it. Lars Andrews hmm. uh, did this. Uh, uh, Lars Andrews did this book out of his own pocket, and he doesn't. I don't even know if he barely breaks even on it. Yeah. But he it's, it's a labor of love for him. He's a cardiac uh he's a physio- uh, cardiac physiologist there and he does this for us um and uh he writes these books and he puts these stories together as a labor of love and um you know so it's it's only like i think it's less than 20 bucks and uh it's on amazon uh cardiac athletes too if you can uh get that and if you have anybody know anybody with a a, a is you know with a heart issue and if they're you know Active or non-active, you know, there, there's been plenty of them that didn't start even running or biking until after, you know, they, they, they've read these books. Amazing. Uh, but anybody suffering through that would be good. And then, you know, my coach with Without Limits, um, he's been so supportive uh, of me. And uh, we have, uh, he has a couple of uh, coaching sites on the East Coast here Amazing. Uh, of, of, North, of North America. And um and then you know the Boston Athletic Association for just putting on such an amazing race, and and Richmond, uh, uh, the Richmond Anthem uh, Marathon has been absolutely amazing. Uh, they reached out to me and, and comped my race this year because of oh, my wow. story. So that That's was pretty cool. cool. That is really I was cool. Like really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we like your story. Can you just you know just post about it and tag us? I was like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> so so uh, I've had a few of those things. Um, and then um, I guess lastly. You know, my doctor, Dr. Patel at uh, Cape Fear Heart Associates, he's just been an amazing, wonderful, beautiful man. Actually, when I qualified for Boston, I, I, uh, through the cardiac athletes, I talked to Lars and I said, Lars, we got to give something to these doctors. And uh, so we created a, a, a database 
of cardiologists who work with cardiac athletes because oh, so, so that people don't have to doc shop because yep. too many times they get told to stop doing this, stop doing that. And so we created a big database. And so, um, and we also have these uh, certificates now for, for cardiac, we created cardiac ambassador, cardiac athlete ambassador. So I'm one of the worldwide ambassadors. Amazing. And so I made a certificate for him and I, I present, I framed it and, and presented it to him and the TV stations were there and everything. That's and brilliant. it was really super cool. And he, he actually cried. And uh, and he said that meant more to him than his degrees on the wall. Amazing, amazing. And so because he is like that, that's a doctor that cares. He puts the you know, there's no airs about it. He he puts the patient first, and um, that's it. You gotta you meet people where they are and uh, do the right thing for the right person at the right time. Brilliant under the right circumstances. But uh, yeah, those those guys. You know, if you check out cardiac athletes and cool. give them a shout. And there's another Iron Heart Connect is another uh, cardiac athlete group or cardiac group uh, uh, of triathletes and stuff. And they're 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 pretty amazing. Um, they're on Facebook, but yeah, cardiac athlete guys, man, give them a shout out. Will do. Okay, so I'll put all those links from Peyton in the show notes episode, so you guys can check them all out. Um, and thank you very much for your time today, Peyton. I really appreciate it, and such an amazing story. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. All right. uh, thank you so much. Cheers. What an inspiring man. If you want to check out more about Peyton's story, then you can get a copy of the book Cardiac Athletes on Amazon. You can find a link in the show notes below. This month, I am fundraising for the charity The Campaign Against Living Miserably. I'm doing this by streaming a different horror game every day for the month of October. Calm are an amazing suicide awareness, prevention and intervention charity based in the UK. If you want to find out more about this fundraising and the charity itself, then you can find information in the show links below. In the next episode, I am joined by music producer Neil Kennedy. Until then, bye! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.